Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast. Today, my guest is Mark Chevrington, who is a New York Times bestselling author and author of Game Night 999, which is a series set within the world of Minecraft that teaches children about cyberbullying. All of Mark's books that are within that series have some themes around bullying, acceptance, dealing with fear, dealing with anxiety, believing in oneself, accepting oneself. And this latest book is a little bit different than all the other books. It's called Facing the Beast Within, The Anxiety of Cameron Poole. The what's different about this book is that it is written in first person and that Mark worked with a team of therapists and psychiatrists to figure out the language that they use with children in therapy. This book is just filled with practical tips, techniques, tools that kids with anxiety can utilize. It helps kids with anxiety realize that they're not alone and see the symptoms and the body feelings that they express that they can relate to with this character. Anxiety is really prevalent in our society. One in five kids experience anxiety. And so this is a really nice book to share with your children. Let them read it, realize they're not alone and pick up all these practical tools and techniques. Mark's own son struggled with anxiety. It started in second grade and progressed to seventh grade to where it almost became debilitating and he was unable to attend school. At that point, Mark ended up leaving his career. He has a master's in physics and taught physics in school for 15 years and then was a research physicist for General Electric. He was fortunate enough to be able to leave his career and homeschool his kid, and that's where the evolution of many of his books came from. His child at home started to thrive to do better, and Mark felt like he and his family had such a struggle, he wanted to make it a little bit easier for families, and that's where he created these books. And there's, there's going to be more that are coming, so you have to stay tuned. I also want to add and note that I know that a carrot is not a fruit, so when you listen to the episode, just know that I, I got it. <laughs> anyway, I hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Community Podcast, a place to explore possibility through mindfulness, movement, and self-discovery. Our intention is to deliver insight and inspiration while fostering conversations that are genuine, unfiltered, and deeply human. We hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hello, Mark. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Connected Community Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about your newest book, and you are a New York York Times bestselling author, and you just released your 27th book, which is a major accomplishment. That's a lot Um, of books. So congratulations on that. That launched in August, right? That's right. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. (laughs) <laughs> and I want to, before we're going to dive into your newest book, let's just kind of start at the beginning of your path. I know that you um, have a master's in physics and you were a school teacher for 15 years and you've had kind of a lot of different little career paths and turns and, and now you're a full-time author. And so how did you roll down that path? Right. So I was a school teacher for 15 years and I realized when I look back, that's when my writing started because... I would make up problems for the kids to do. I didn't use a textbook. And so I came up with a character called Barky the physics dog and terrible things would happen to Barky and they'd have to calculate, is he going to survive or not? Oh my gosh. 
So, and then I made up other characters and did other things to them and the kids would really like it. Um, but I did that for 15 years and then moved into engineering and worked mm. as a physicist for General Electric for 15 years. And while I was working there, I started writing. And I decided one day I wanted to write a book. I'm an avid reader of fantasy and science fiction. So I decided I'm going to write a science fiction. And I wrote it and worked on it for like three years, tried to get it published. And it was a catastrophic failure. 253 rejections. I remember the number. Oh my God, that, that's persistence. That, that's that's <laughs> when I stopped counting. But it was funny. My son was learning graphing. He was in, I guess he was in third grade or something, and he was learning how to graph. So he was graphing all my rejections. So he oh thought this gosh. was a great exercise. <laughs> Me, not so much. Uh, oh um, my gosh. And then I wrote three more books, and those were also catastrophic failures. Um, and I learned a lot from doing this writing, but clearly I didn't know enough to how to be published. And then my son was cyberbullied while he was playing Minecraft. And so I wrote a story and set it in Minecraft to teach him why this wasn't his fault. Because mm. victims of bullying frequently think they did something to deserve being bullied, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. So I wrote it. We read it at bedtime. He said, I get it. These kids are just jerks. Maybe they're bullied by their older brothers or by someone at school, and this is them lashing out. And I said, yay, I'm super dad. Uh-huh. And then just for fun, I put it self-published it on Amazon, and that's painfully easy to do, as millions of people have learned. And it was the only novel about Minecraft at the time, and so it took off like a rocket. It sold 50,000 copies in the first four months. Wow. Wow. Um, and made it to number 29 on Amazon's top 100 for all books. Wow. That was super exciting. Wow. And then agents and publishers started calling me. And a few years later, I'm writing Minecraft novels full time. I left my job and I was just write, write, write. That's all I did. And the first novels that you created, what were the topics? Were they geared towards children? Oh, th they all were because I was writing it for my son and he was... I think when I wrote that book, he was like nine or so. Mm -hmm. And so I needed it for him. So I, that's that age group is called the middle grade genre, which is mm -hmm. like kids seven to 13. And so I wrote it for him. And then I, I tend to think in series. And so I had three books in mind. So I wrote a second book. And by then the first book had exploded. And so I wrote a third book. And it's kind of funny. I got to deal with the publisher. And while I'm writing the third book, the publisher says, hey, Mark, sales are really good. Don't kill the bad guy. We need another series. And I said, okay. Mm -hmm. So I let the bad guy live and I wrote another series and another and another. It was a lot and of so fun. How many Minecraft um, series do you have? So I have eight Minecraft series. So 24 books in total. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yep. And all of them are geared towards that age group and all of them have a theme that towards kids. So do you want to talk about a few of those themes? Yeah. So the first book was about bullying because of my son. The second book was about dealing with anxiety. And the third one was facing your fears. Fourth one was about sibling relationships. I, I realized when I started getting all these emails from kids saying, thank you for your book. It really helped me with my bullying problem. I recognized I had a megaphone that I could use to talk to kids with. Mm -hmm. And I had a soapbox I can stand up on. And so I chose a theme for every story 
that was something that was important to kids. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend who's a child psychologist. And so when I was dealing, writing a book about self-esteem, I'd call up my friend, Jen and say, Hey, you know, what, a, what do we, you, do you talk about to your patients about self-esteem? And so she tells me, and I put all that stuff in the book. It was great mm-hmm. having that resource. And how do you weave those themes into the book so that the kids can digest them and take those messages away? Well, I, when I write a book, I first start with the character arc on what's the character's challenge going to be and what is the evidence that displays that challenge and how are they going to overcome it? And Mm -hmm. so I figure that out first, you know, for self-esteem, I can't be saying don't have low self-esteem, right? It it, it can't be an info dump. It has to be subtle and it has to be part of the character's struggle, but the kids need to recognize, oh yeah, the kid, the, the guy, you know, he doesn't think highly of himself. But then at the end of the story, he does. Mm-hmm. And so I create the character arc, and then I fit a plot around it that's going to work with that. And the last book um, that you wrote, and I read that, it seems like you wove a lot of the information through the the thoughts of the child, what they were right. thinking and, and how they were interpreting the world through their thoughts. Right. I, I actually wrote that book in third person originally, Facing the Beast Within. Mm-hmm. And I, my agent tried to shop it around and get it published, and nobody would bite on a book about anxiety. No one was mm-hmm. interested in that. I mean, maybe they didn't like my story. Maybe they didn't like how I presented it. There could be a million reasons why they didn't like it. Um, but the one comment I heard from a publisher was they said it felt too distant to them. That was mm-hmm. the only feedback I got on why it was rejected from tons of publishers. So I rewrote it in first person so that I can make it more personal to the kid and hear those thoughts in their head. Because with my son, I didn't know what he was thinking. And I didn't know the level of dread and despair and hopelessness he was feeling when he was having these incredible anxiety attacks. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to include that in the story. So kids that are having those same kind of thoughts and feelings, they don't feel so alone. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I want to dive into this topic of anxiety and how um, this book evolved with your son. Um, but I also want to, I want you to go over in your website, you talk about how post-COVID one in five kids are dealing with anxiety. It's, that's a huge percentage. Um, that's a huge and number, right? It's huge and it's persistent yeah. and I see it and my kids got it. Um, and so I know exactly what that looks like and um, I have a lot of friends that are therapists and it's, it's a huge issue. And so um, can we start with that story about your, your son in second grade and, and how that all evolved for, for, for you? Yep. So in second grade, he started showing symptoms of anxiety. You know, he, he would, and I didn't recognize them as anxiety initially. My, my, my wife says she did, but I'm not sure if she did at first, but she's much smarter than me. So I wouldn't be surprised if she did. <laughs> and, and, and she has a background in psychology, so she's okay. doubly smarter than me. Mm-hmm. So um, he would start complaining about a stomach ache and he's got a headache and he doesn't feel good. And so he'd grab one of those ear thermometers, you know, mm-hmm. and just stick in your ear and you use that three times and you get three different numbers. So he would keep using it until he'd get a number. He'd get 99. Yeah, I'm sick. See? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he was convinced he was sick and he's always been very in tune with his body. He knew when he was getting sick. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, at first I thought, is he just trying to dodge school? Because when I was a kid, Mm-hmm. That's what I, I I pulled the upset stomach card with my mom, mm-hmm. thinking I can get away from going to school. She never, yes. she never believed me. Of course, and I took the worked. thermometer on the light, on the light bulb, bulb, and my- <laughs> that's a very poor technique. My yeah. temperature is probably like one hundred and ten. <laughs> it's like two hundred. Yeah, yeah, you'd be dead. Right. So, so he had these symptoms, and eventually we took him to the doctor to say what's wrong. And the doctor listened to us, the pediatrician. And he said, he might have anxiety. You ought to get him evaluated. Mm. And sure enough, we got him evaluated, which is a laborious process, right? It is. To get, to get that diagnosis so you can get services at the school. Mm. It's many, many, many appointments and interviews. But what he, what was happening to him was his body was creating all this stomach acid because he didn't want to go to school because he was afraid for some reason. Mm-hmm. And his body was responding to that and was mm-hmm. trying to keep him out of school. So, so his issues were real. It's just the, the, where it came from. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he, he never could understand why he was getting upset other than the one time he said, I get upset because I'm afraid I'm going to get upset, mm. which means he's afraid he's going to cry and that makes him cry. Mm-hmm. And I learned later that's called a thought loop, which I added in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard to, to crack that nut, right? Cause it's self-supporting. And so through school, this got worse and worse. And we tried different therapists. We tried art, art therapy. We did a lot of different therapists and CBT and all of that. And um, nothing seemed to help. We tried after that, we tried meds and we would try the whole dance with trying a med and you ramp up to see if it'll help till you get to the max and then you ramp your way back down. And meanwhile, six months have gone by and he's Mm -hmm. got no relief and now we got to try a new med, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really hard to do. Um, And some of those have not so great side effects, but his suffering Mm -hmm. was so terrible, we had to try something. Mm-hmm. But some of the meds, they'd work and we'd think, oh, we got it. And then they'd stop working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the body gets used to it. I, I don't know. I don't know. We've had the same experience too. And I mean, I think you mentioned that like me, we're in a position where we have those resources and have the ability to do that. And, um, and even so it took nine months to get an eval and then the yeah. same song and dance of, of, of that going on the meds and then working for a while and not working. And, um, Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a huge issue. And, and all the time you're watching your child suffer Mm -hmm. and you can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Right. I felt like as a father, I felt like such a failure because I couldn't Mm -hmm. protect my son. And, and I've spoken to a lot of people after writing this book who are dealing with this with their kids and they say the same thing. I, I feel like a failure too. And I realize now we're not. Because we're trying something new every day. We're doing what we can to help our child. Mm -hmm. Just because it's not successful doesn't mean we're not trying to protect them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. eventually we got up to the point that, you know, he was now not going to class. Before COVID, they tried putting cameras in his classrooms and having him sit in the office of the social worker and attend class that way. And it worked great one day. And then the next day, the cameras didn't work. And then his anxiety kicked in and uh, that didn't work anymore. And finally, we got to the point that 
the all the meds we were using were out of the the easy stuff and now they wanted us to talk about using the one they give to psychotic patients mm. to make them not so axe murderer like and you know make them a zombie and we said no that's the end of that and so we pulled him out of school i quit my job at ge and, and this was 7th homes- grade this was 7th grade okay and pulled him out of school i quit my job and his anxiety nearly evaporated overnight. It was the weirdest thing you ever saw. That clearly something at the school was doing something to him. Mm-hmm. And the at the time, the nurse pra- psychiatric nurse practitioner we were going to said she thought he had post-traumatic stress. Did you know what that was due to? No idea. He still mm-hmm. doesn't know, even when we talk about it now. He has no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, p- part of it was probably us forcing him into school and he's crying and wailing and terrified and mm-hmm. we're doing that every day and it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. And, well, you know, the school psychologist was telling him, telling us, just bring him in and then he'll be upset, but he'll be upset for less every day and a little less and a little less and a little less. Well, that wasn't working. That wasn't the case. It was the opposite. It was the opposite. And he was really upset and really upset. And so we finally said, we appreciate everything you guys have been trying to do, but this isn't working. Was school the only setting where that anxiety would kick in for him? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He would go to friends, play with friends, nothing. It was something about going to school. Mm -hmm. You know, well, there were times when we would go to a piano lesson and he wasn't ready. He didn't practice, you know, he was eight and he didn't practice. Really, does it matter, right? Mm -hmm, right. To him, it does. And he didn't want to disappoint the teacher. So he would start showing signs of anxiety and we'd turn around and go home and call the teacher and say, sorry, we'll pay for this lesson, but we aren't going to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, But but 99% of the time it was going to school. That was the challenge. Mm -hmm. So we pulled him out of school. I didn't want to be responsible for curriculum for homeschooling him because all I would teach him would be physics and math because that's all I know <laughs> is physics and math. And he'd be uh-huh. great at it, but uh-huh. that doesn't that doesn't prepare him for college, right? Mm-hmm. He needs to write. He needs to do history and social studies and all of that kind of stuff. So we enrolled him in an online school and I sat next to him and I worked on my Minecraft novels. And every now and then I'd turn to him and say, no, turn off Twitter go back to reading that paper (laughs) and he would. And that was my job to turn. No, no, turn off Facebook. And he thrived Mm -hmm. in that environment and he did Mm -hmm. great. And he's killing it in college now. Did it change your relationship through those years? Um, His anxiety from second to seventh and then seventh forward. How was that relationship with him? Well, I I think the relationship changed when I was at home with him. I loved Mm -hmm. being at home with him. Mm-hmm. You know, we had great discussions. We did things together we wouldn't normally have been able to do. When I was working at GE, I would go in at, you know, 6.30 in the morning and I'd come home at six at night because I'm kind of a workaholic. And so I didn't get as much time with him as I did when I was home with him. And so mm-hmm. that gave us a much closer relationship that I, I, I really treasure that I had the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And, and the ability to do that. A lot of parents don't have the ability to do that. And you had yeah. a career that was, you were able to work around that. Yeah. And and it was just dumb luck that I had the revenue from these Minecraft books that enabled me to be able to leave my job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
a lot of people don't have that option, which is, which, you know, is unfortunate um, because a lot of families, they both got, parents got to work and it's hard to leave the, leave your job. Um, I think we would have probably sold our house and still I would have left the job and we would have found a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. Um, But we were pretty desperate at that point. We would have done anything to help him. And so now he's in college. Is he um, living at home or is he on campus? He's he's living at home. My my wife teaches college. And mm-hmm. so we get free tuition. Yay. And yeah. uh, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. And so he goes there and he has not shown one sign of anxiety there. And mm-hmm. I suspect part of it might be she's been taking him to work, you know, every now and then since he was four years old. Mm-hmm. So he knows that campus and he knows the faculty and they know him. And so maybe that made the transition easier. Mm-hmm. I tell you, the first day of college, we were scared. I bet. We were afraid what's going to happen. And he sailed through like a champion. And and it could have been what what, yeah. what the psychiatric nurse told me was, and this is probably a simplified version because I'm not a psychologist, um, but she said the post-traumatic stress is like a chemical injury of the brain. And there's hormones in there that are in there because of all the fear he was feeling. And those hormones have a hard time getting out until you remove the stressor, whatever mm-hmm. the trigger is. And when we took him out of school, that trigger disappeared. And now his brain was able to heal. I had time to process yeah. all of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I'm starting to realize that more and more, especially the more I talk to people is that trauma doesn't have to look like what we think trauma needs to look like, like a car accident or sexual abuse or some major event that we can pinpoint. It can be a lot more subtle and it can be just yeah. as damaging. Um, and, and, and you might not know the, the source of it. Right. I, I spoke to one mom last week about their child's anxiety and the way it manifested itself was in anger that -hmm. the kid was angry all the time. The kid wasn't crying and upset like my son was. They showed totally different symptoms, but that's how, how their son was presenting the anxiety. And so, um, tell me about how, how your son has received this book. I mean, I know he's a lot older and, and, um, and your population's younger, but I have to say, I enjoyed reading it. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. My son doesn't like my books. None of them? <laughs> no. You know, we read the first one and he, okay, he kind of gets it. I made him the star. His Minecraft name, his Minecraft mm-hmm. account name was Game Night 999. Mm-hmm. So I made Game Night the star of the book. And so for him, it was like he's reading a story about him, but this character is nothing like him. Mm. And mm-hmm. and he doesn't like these kind of action adventure novels. He likes reading really highbrow stuff. Interesting. You know, he he decided to read the Divine Comedy, and he wants to read uh, you know these big thick monster books that you read in English literature in college, and he wants uh-huh. to do it for fun. Yes, the kids, other kids are trying to just get through. <laughs> yeah, he loves those books, and he's got a shelf full of them that he reads. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to read Don Quixote, which is a monster book. Yeah. And it's huge. And those are the kind of things he likes to read. So not my books. So he's mm-hmm. never read it. Mm-hmm. But he knows a lot about it because while I was writing it, he was sitting in the desk next to me in our office. And I'd say, wait, so tell me again 
when you're having a panic attack, what did it feel? What did it feel like in your head? And so he'd tell me and I'd write that down. Now, what about your stomach? And he'd tell me and I'd write that down. Mm-hmm. So he was pretty integral to describing, to, to putting in the symptoms that the main character felt in the book. They were as authentic as I could make them. And then the therapist that you worked with had a lot of really good suggestions and coping techniques to work with anxiety. Did your son use any of those techniques? Or, I mean, I know this book came out a lot later. Is he, can he relate to any of those techniques or does he find any of them helpful? So the the thing we used that, that I used mostly with him was distraction, that I tried to distract him from focusing on his anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because when you're just quiet, you can just focus on your own problems and brood on them. And that just magnifies them. Mm -hmm. So I would try to distract them any way I can. We'd sing songs. We'd listen to audio books on the way to work. A favorite Mm -hmm. was little shop of horror soundtrack. We'd listen to that Mm -hmm. frequently on the way to, uh, on the way to school. I mean, Um, but a lot of the, the strategies in the book he didn't use because I didn't know about them. Mm -hmm. And when I finished rewriting the book in first person, I gave it to a family friend who's Dr. Jen. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a student of my wife's and then got a PhD in psychology and then opened her own practice to work with kids and has a whole bunch of psychologists under her. I would frequently ask her for advice on when I'm writing about bullying or grief or whatever. I asked her about, can she look at this? And she said, I'll tell you what, I'll give it to everybody in our practice. And we'll talk about it during our professional development time every week. So nice. Mm -hmm. And so they went through it. They made lots of notes. I printed up copies, double space so they could write in it. And they made a ton of notes. And they also, which was great, is I would talk about doing something in the book and they would write what's the terminology name for it, like a thought. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now those terminologies are in there. So a kid who's reading this book, they're going to totally hear what their therapist is saying echoed in these pages. Mm-hmm. And it's going to just reinforce what the therapist is teaching them. Well, and a thought loop's a great example because the therapist is using it, but it's so obvious what it is. Like we're getting stuck in this loop yeah. and we can't get out. Mm-hmm. But, but I never knew it had a name. I just knew right. he was stuck in this, you know, this, this circle Pattern. that he couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it mm-hmm. was great to hear all those terminologies because I think, I I never thought about trying to make the book reinforce what a therapist is saying, but that's what Mm -hmm. it ends up doing because these people taught me all the right words to use. And that's different than any of the Minecraft books, correct? Right. I I, I would still ask Jen, you know, what do you talk about with grief? And, And so I would kind of add stuff in, but... I didn't ask her, what were your grief coping strategies? And I would put them Mm -hmm. specifically into it Mm -hmm. because those books were not really about mental health. It had a message about it. Right. But it wasn't about, you know, focused strictly on grief. It was Mm -hmm. still a fun action adventure novel. But this book is really focused on anxiety, as I'm sure you noticed. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to hit that hard because this experiment, this experience was really difficult for our family. And you're wanting to just help people and help kids. And when, when we were going through this, you know, we'd be going into the school and my son's getting upset and he's crying. And I see all the kids looking at him like, what's wrong with him? And some of the teachers are what's wrong with that parent. You know, this is what's going through in my head. Right. Right. 
Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody else dealing with anxiety. And so my thoughts are all focused inward on our family. And mm-hmm. you feel really alone and isolated, like you're the only people going through this. And of mm-hmm. course, I know that's not true, but that's how it feels at the time. Mm-hmm. And so having yeah. a book like this, where you see the character going through the same thing, wow, suddenly you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for kids to be able to read this and some of the things that your main character was going through, was it Cameron? Yep. Um, were so common. Um, let's talk about a few of the challenges that he has in the book without giving the book away. <laughs> okay. Um, and, or a few of the way that anxiety manifests for him in the book that other people would be able to relate to. That's kind of common. Right. So, so I made up in the book, he would hear a buzzing in his head, which is not something my son did. That was just a cool literary tool because I could compare it to bees and hornets and it, I could make the the approaching storm of anxiety make it visual to the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the self-doubt and the what-ifs are a big thing with a lot of kids. You know, what if I go to school and, and a bully attacks me, you know? Mm-hmm. There was a bully. Kidding. There were there was a lot of bullying in this book too. There was, especially at the uh-huh. beginning, right? Mm-hmm. The, the 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 scene where he's hiding in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. In in hindsight, I don't know if that was a little brutal because it's very visceral and you feel like you're in there with the kid. But it but, feel it's a feeling of that sense of danger that you're not safe. That yeah. he's not safe and he doesn't know what's going to happen. Same thing in the lunchroom, like you're sitting there and you're eating and is that kid walking over here and going to say horrendous things to me? Right. It's that fear of the unknown and, and, yeah. and anticipating something bad that might yeah. happen. And, and and a lot of it is your brain just creating that because of self-doubt or self-esteem or or you have anxiety and your brain likes to do that to you, right? Mm-hmm. So. I, I tried to focus on those types of things and tried to make it as um, sensory as possible. Mm-hmm. Like when he's going into the tombs and he's afraid to go into the catacombs and he's afraid to go into the catacombs. Right. I talk about how his, his, the hairs are standing up on the back of his neck. He's got goosebumps beads mm-hmm. of sweat are trickling down his neck and it feels like a bug crawling around. I think I use that multiple times. I use that mm-hmm. in every book. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I try not to use it more than once, but I'm sure I do. Um, I, I tried to make it as, as much as possible that the reader could feel what Cameron was feeling. Mm-hmm. Because certainly when you're in the depth of this anxiety, you feel all that stuff. Your body is attacking you. Because it is so afraid, mm-hmm. and you have a lot of feelings going through you, so I tried really hard to bring that across so that this was a, a sensory thing and a visceral thing that the reader is going to really feel as if they're in there with Cameron at his mm-hmm. side. And let's talk about some of the coping strategies. Um, one that I hadn't heard of that I literally liked a lot um, to get out of a thought loop would be. I might have this a little incorrect, um, but using the alphabet, so maybe naming all the fruits and go through with the A fruit and the, you know, the apple, banana, yeah. carrot, 
Um, and that would definitely take somebody out of their experience into a different place very quickly. And, and certainly sometimes you hit a letter when it's hard, right? Yeah. You hit, you hit J and what, what are you going to do for a fruit for J? Uh, jackfruit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't know about that one. I know, right? It's a, it's an so, obscure one. <laughs> so, so, so those are the distraction techniques that we mm -hmm. used a lot with our son. Um, which I learned later after talking to the therapists that distraction is not a good tool to use because it's like you're hiding from the problem. You're never dealing with the problem. You're not learning why you're afraid or you're not learning that the fears are a lie, which is a, a big mm -hmm. thing in, in the story, as I'm sure you noticed. Mm -hmm. And the other big thing is that the fears aren't going to last forever because when kids are in the throes of these panic attacks, they think this is never going to end. And how am I going to survive? That's actually a technique I use with my kid a lot. He has these big surges of emotion um, that don't make sense. So he'll have a big surge of tears and he doesn't know the root of it. He doesn't know why they're coming. Um, and I, and I always say to him, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter what it's about and just let it out. And then afterwards yep. I'm like, wow, see, like that was only, you know, that was only five minutes and it just felt like forever, but it was five minutes and now it's over because we do think that we're in, in something that's never going to end. Yeah. And our feelings are just going to like consume us. And, um, and just think about how terrifying that must be. Yeah. Right. Whatever the feeling is, fear, anxiety, yeah. sadness. Yeah. To know that it's, it's got a end point yeah. and that, or, or that it's, to be able to watch them, I guess it's like taking that outside perspective and then being able to look at it afterwards and say, oh, I had that experience of anxiety and it was really intense and then it went away. Right. Yeah. But the one of the challenges I found with our son was every time when we had these, these, these big displays of emotion, he's really upset, he's crying, he can't go to school, we bring him home. To me, those are teachable moments that we can sit and talk about it and try to dissect it and understand what happened. But mm -hmm. he can't talk about that because he's totally overwhelmed with adrenaline from this fight or flight situation, right? So now he's really fatigued, which is common after a blast of adrenaline. And then he doesn't want to relive this because he wanted to go to school. He wanted to be with the other kids, mm -hmm. but he can't. And so he probably feels like a failure. Mm -hmm. And so when we would talk about it, he would just shut down. And I think one of the biggest powers of this book is that a parent, when, when they find they can't talk about it with their kid, they can talk about what happened to Cameron. Mm -hmm. Why was it that Cameron couldn't go up on the ropes course? What happened? What, what made it so he couldn't do it? And you can have that discussion about the, what, what Cameron is unable to do, and that's less threatening to the child. Mm -hmm. It makes me think, I wish they would bring these in the, in the school system. Cause it also, there's a lesson about being the bully and being bullied and, and also supporting, there was a really sweet friend of his that was supporting him through this process and yeah. just how to be a good friend and then how to work through some of these things. There's so many lessons in there that if they brought it into the schools, it would be such a great gift. Yeah. I, I, I think it would help a ton of kids. I'm I'm starting right now going into schools and doing author visits to to talk about this. Yeah. Because I, I just think, you know, when I was a teacher, my class my classroom limit was thirty six kids in high school. 
Mm-hmm. So if I got 20% of those that are, yeah. you know, I got seven or eight kids in there that have anxiety of one level or, of, or another. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to talk about that or how to deal with that. And teachers aren't trained to handle that. Right. And so ha- having a tool, you know, this wouldn't be a great tool for high school, but it would certainly help in mm-hmm. elementary school mm-hmm. to have a book that you could talk about and you could read. and. Mm-hmm. Maybe this reduces some of the stigma. And so kids see somebody crying instead of just ignoring them or rolling their eyes, mm-hmm. they go over and try to help them. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do feel like in, in elementary school, typically countrywide, we have a lot of services and support. And then once junior high and high school hit, they, those just disappear. Um, They're just and I feel overwhelmed. Like yeah. The, right. Right. And there's kids, you know, ADHD is super common. Um, uh, there's so many kids that have so many different little things that they're dealing with. Um, and books would be a great way, a great yeah. pathway for them to like start to understand themselves. Yeah. I think it would be really helpful at the elementary school age mm-hmm. to have kids read about this and learn some empathy and understand yeah. what's going on and feeling like you're not alone. Yeah. What, let's talk about a few of the other coping strategies that are in the book that are so um, successful for Cameron. So I used a lot of distraction because that's what we used with our son. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I didn't understand fully was the piece about the what ifs are a lie, the fears are a lie, and that it's not going to last forever. And so I would, in the book, have Dr. Jen, have Cameron recall a lesson by Dr. Jen about that, about talking about the ants. She would call them the automatic negative thoughts. She would call them ants to her Mm -hmm. patients. And she had a little song. I don't remember what it was. And if I knew, I wouldn't sing it anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Mark. (laughs) But, but, you know, addressing those things, those are the things that I didn't know we needed to address with our son because we didn't get to the problem of understanding what he's afraid of and having him realize that whatever he's afraid of, it's a lie. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to include that throughout the book wherever possible, because that's, that's an important thing for kids with anxiety is to recognize that the thing they're afraid of isn't real because that's the very definition of anxiety, right? An imagined fear. So let's give a like a more concrete example of that in the book, how that appeared. So I think uh, when he would see the villain, the, the demon lord of Agartha, Malthus, when he would have to confront him, he he would totally imagine things that are going to happen to him. And he's going to make up these what ifs. What What if there's monsters coming through the tunnel and I'm hiding here and they catch me? What mm-hmm. if, uh, what if I, I lead my friends into danger and somebody gets hurt? Mm-hmm. But those were all pretty valid. What ifs? Well, s- certainly they were when you got monsters chasing you, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but, but certainly he obsessed on those. Cameron mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. because that's a big part of his anxiety is his imagination creating these monsters for him. There's mm-hmm. one where I remember he's going through a tunnel and it's dark, and he imagines monsters in the darkness waiting to reach out from the wall to grab him with clawed hands. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, he's in a rocky tunnel. 
there's no monsters in the walls, right? At least, I mean, I assume there's not, but Mm -hmm. so he imagines this danger and then that causes his anxiety to hit and his breathing gets rapid and shallow and he starts to sweat. And those are the moments at the beginning of the book when I try to have him use a coping strategy and fail at it. Because in literature, you want the first half, the main character, to be unsuccessful. And then at the end, you want them to be successful. That's part Mm -hmm. of the character arc. And so he would imagine those things and he would be afraid. And they're totally, you know, created by him. And the more he thinks about him, the stronger the fear gets because he gets stuck in that thought loop. Mm -hmm. And that's when his friends come up, especially the girl, Eliza, will, will see he's, he's having trouble and will help him and suggest to, to count by sevens or, you know, imagine, you know, list all the fruits by an alphabetical order. Mm Mm-hmm. And those are Mm -hmm. the things that pull him out of him focusing on his own problems and looking at the world around him instead and recognizing the the fears are a lie. Mm -hmm. I wonder if your son was on here, what advice he would give to other kids. You know, I don't know. I should ask him that and see. He's not here (laughs) right now. Otherwise, I'd pull him in and ask him. Uh But uh, yeah, I don't know. Because uh, this was certainly traumatic for him, just as much as it, you know, way more than it was for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I suspect his advice would be keep trying something. Mm-hmm. That that's certainly the advice that that my wife and I would have mm-hmm. is that you're doing stuff and nearly everything doesn't work, but you got to keep trying something and you got to keep trying something new until you find that magic bullet that's going to slay the beast. Yeah. I mean, what's, what's interesting about his situation is that he wasn't aware of the trigger or unless the trigger was just completely the school. And that makes it a little bit more challenging um, for him. Yeah. Because he, he could never vocalize what he was afraid of. You know, if it was a bully, that would have been so much easier to deal with, right? There's, Mm -hmm. there's solutions there. Mm -hmm. Um, but he didn't know what it was. And we asked him frequently, is somebody picking on you? Is somebody teasing you? Mm-hmm. And he'd say, no. In fact, everybody loved him because he was very calm and he's very predictable. And so he wouldn't have outbursts of anger around people. Mm-hmm. His his anxiety was about going into school and either he made it or he didn't. And if he made it, he was pretty good and he had a good day. Mm-hmm. So all of his, you know, his classmates loved having him around because he was funny and he's kind and he's not going to try to tackle somebody just because he has the urge, <laughs> like but a mean, lot of boys do. <laughs> but then he's got this internal process that's going on that's all on his own that's that probably feels very um, isolating, that he didn't understand, yeah. that he's dealing with, that other people can't see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and And I imagine... If if he was struggling with anxiety in class, he probably assumes everybody knows and everybody's watching yeah, him, right? Because right? that's how that internal focus goes. And then that just magnifies the problem. Yeah, yeah. That's such a hard yeah. thing. So tell me this new, um, tell everybody the name and the title of the new book and where they can find it. And um, also it's won some awards already. <laughs> it has. So- it's Facing the Beast Within, The Anxiety of Cameron Poole. 
And I put the second half of the title on there. It's really not necessary. But when somebody searches for anxiety on Amazon, Mm -hmm. it's going to pick up that keyword in the title. So that's a little self-publishing trick there. Um, It's available everywhere online. Um, And so you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million is a big site. Kobo is a big site for for books and ebooks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's available everywhere. If you get the print book, I bet you didn't get the print book. I didn't Did get you? the print book. Mm-mm. The print book has a flip book in it where I don't know if you remember getting a Cracker Jacks box and sometimes you get the prize where you flip the book and you can see yes. the animation. They're so cool. <laughs> I used to love those things. <laughs> yeah. So I put that, I found this incredible artist in Serbia online. And she would draw these flip books for me. And I'd put them in the bottom corner of the print book. So kids could flip through it. And so they see in the print book, they see a gargoyle chasing a boy. And at the end of the animation, the boy turns around and is able to defeat the gargoyle. I won't tell you how. Oh, that's cool. And so those are super fun. So I've been putting those in all of my my self-published books because I think they're they're super fun. I don't Mm. know anybody else doing it. They're in your, um, so all your Minecraft books? They're not in the Minecraft because I didn't think about that then. Okay. Um, after I wrote the Minecraft books, I decided I'm going to write some fantasy novels. And so I write some, wrote some books, a post-apocalyptic series about giants. And because giants are going to be super popular. And so I wrote these books and boy, did they tank on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> they did remarkably poorly, Aww. but they have flip books in them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I've been putting those in all the books because I just think it's super fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it helps sell a book or not, but when I would give these books to teachers, they would tell me, boy, the kids love looking at that flip book. Yeah. You know, I mean, who who wouldn't? So they're mm-hmm. available everywhere. It's one, let's see, the Mom's Choice Gold Award. Mom's mm-hmm. Choice is this international organization that people send in their product and they give them to an army of moms and they decide, is this a good thing for kids or not? And so gold is the highest level. I was very excited about that. Mm -hmm. I had to send in like five copies and they sent it to five different people and they all had to agree to get the gold. So that was very exciting. And then I won the 2023 international book award for children's fiction. Amazing. And recently the New York city big book award for middle grade fiction. And I'm a runner-up for the Pencraft Award, which is another award. And I'm on the long list for the Gertrude Somebody or Other Award. I don't remember her last name. Some famous middle grade author who's not famous to me because I don't know her name. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> well, it's I, only I, been out. It's only two months. You've yeah. only had this out for two months. So I, I haven't heard yet. The So they released the long list. So I made the first cut. And then the next cut is sometime in February. And then the next cut is in April of next year or something. So that's a long process. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to see people are reading it and they like the story and they see the value in it for kids, I think. And are then, you going to continue that? Oh, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to continue the story. There's a second book called Cameron and the Shadow Wraiths. And I finished that and I just got it back from an editor. And I'm going through and doing the edits and she recommended some big changes. So I'm doing a lot of writing 
to try to make it right so that mm-hmm. it can have the most impact with kids. And then there will be a third a book, third book, The Gargoyle's Revenge, which will be set in New York City. And I don't know how I'm going to get the kids from New Orleans to New York City. I haven't figured that out yet. But that's a detail, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, that'll complete that series. And what happens after that, I don't know. Yeah. You're I'm, cranking them out. I am. I'm, I, I can usually do a book in six months. Oh, my gosh. If I don't have too much going on, mm-hmm. um, but that's that's a lot of writing to get a book written and then an editor to look at it. it takes a month for an editor to go through it and then to yeah. write, rewrite, do all the rewriting and everything. Six months is fast if I can do that. And these next two that are coming out, are you, they the same kind of theme? They're first person, they're, yep. um, the, you know, you're working with the Jen, Dr. Jen. Yep. Yeah, so that's awesome. the, the book two, Cameron and the Shadow Wraiths, is going to continue to deal with Cameron's anxiety because you're never cured, mm-hmm. right? You just learn to cope. And yeah. But now he has self-esteem issues because everybody thinks he's this great hero. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the moment when you're facing the saber-toothed tiger and you battle it and win, you feel like a hero. But I bet after that, you feel like, what the heck were you thinking? And you're still a scared person. And so mm-hmm. he's still a scared boy, but everybody thinks he's a hero. Mm-hmm. And so he has this imposter syndrome kind of thing going I on. I was just going to say that imposter syndrome, yeah. which so many adults feel, right? No, I, I totally have that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I didn't, but I always think my writing sucks. My books are no good. Um, yeah. But that's just who I am. And yeah. so he's struggling with that. And then the third book, I don't have any idea what that's about. But it's going to be Cameron. It's going to be Cameron and mm-hmm. all and all the friends. You know, Bobby has to be part of it because who doesn't love Bobby in these books? Mm-hmm. He's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all, all, all I know is I'm working with a cover artist for that third book. Um, and she's going to start working on the the cover like in December sometime. And she's this fantastic artist named Leah Priest. In fact, the book cover for Facing the Beast Within won first place in one of the awards in the Colorado Independent Publishers Association nice. Award. And nice. so she's a fantastic artist. Mm. And so um, how do people reach you if they want to reach you? Or yeah, I know you have a website. What are their other points of contact and ways that people yep. can um, follow you? So I'm on Twitter at Mark C underscore author, I think. I don't use Twitter that much. I'm an old gray beard. And <laughs> so social like media and me aren't, aren't good friends. Uh, it's not but even I, Twitter. It's just X. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds funny to me. And, and I'll post on Facebook sometimes. Uh, but not a lot. Um, they can go to my website, MarkSheverton.com, and that's C-H-E-V-E-R-T-O-N.com. And if you go there, what you'll find is there's a lot of resources for kids. Like when mm-hmm. my son was going through this terrible experience with his anxiety, I was constantly writing Minecraft books at the same time. And I recognized that was my therapy. That's mm-hmm. how I got my emotions out and how I dealt with it was I wrote. And one of the interesting things when I started writing Minecraft books is kids started sending me their Minecraft stories just out of the blue. Oh, sweet. And so I probably have a thousand stories on my website 
of kids from all over the world. I get some from that are in French and that are in Portuguese and they just send them and I put them on the website. And so so I wonder if that's not a good way for kids to manage how their feelings with anxiety is write a story, maybe write a story about Cameron and make Mm -hmm. up your own adventure for him. And they Mm -hmm. can email them to me and I post them to my website. There's also, um, a thing called, so there's a fan fiction tab at the top of the website. There's also a writing tips tab. And if you click there, you'll see all of these little lessons I made for kids that are strategies I use when I write my books. Like when you create a character name, there's a science to character names. Mm -hmm. And when you create a plot, there's a science to that, which is Mm -hmm. why as an engineer, I, I gravitate to those kind of things. And so I have little 10 minute video lessons that I talk to kids about how they can use this in their own stories. And a lot of elementary school teachers use these in their classes. Oh, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. So there's those resources in there. Um, I believe in the acknowledgments, I acknowledged a kid for naming something in this one, I think. I don't remember if I did that in this one, but there's a, if you click on, I want some books on my website, you can download two free Minecraft books for kids. And I Mm -hmm. wrote these to get reluctant readers to read. And they're very successful with boys because boys love Minecraft and boys don't really want to read that much, but they'll read about Minecraft. Mm -hmm. And so these books are good at getting them hooked to reading. And you can also join my email, my, my newsletter, And what I will frequently do is when I'm working on a new book, I'll send out a thing to my subscribers saying, okay, I got a new creature in this next book and I want people to name them. Here's some things I'm thinking about. And people will come up with names and um, I'll choose which one I think will work the best. And then I acknowledge them in the acknowledgments. Oh, that's fun. And that's a lot of fun for kids to get their name in a book, right? Yeah, for sure. So if you join the newsletter, when I'm working on the third book, I'm going to start thinking of names and names of gargoyles because there's going to be a lot of gargoyles and I'm going to comment on, I'm going to put them in the book. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I want to congratulate you on your 27th book. That sounds so crazy to say that out loud. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yep. Uh, and more to come. So I just really appreciate your time and I love what you're doing and um, the message that you're sending out to these, these kids and how you're helping heal the world. Oh, I, I, I hope it helps. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. Oh, thank you. This was fun. Thank you for listening to the Connected Community Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe. I can be found at www.nikkiyyoga.com, N-I-C-K-Y-Y-Y-O-G-A.com. Until I see you again next week, I hope you have a beautiful day.